Good morning. Wow. It was cold when it started in the first service. I think you've warmed this place up. Some of you are fanning yourselves. Everybody okay? Worship that hot? Listen, if you're here for the first time, welcome. Um, as you may discover today, I'm a bit of a goof, and this place can be somewhat unpredictable. We endured a crow attack in the first service. <laughs> Seriously, a crow attacked that window uh, so relentlessly, he stopped me for a while, and we, we put the service on pause, and a guy went out and chased the crow away. And So I just like to keep all doors closed. I'm fearful of dog attacks at this point. It's... It's been an odd start to what I think is going to be our best year ever. And I am so, so very thankful that you're here. Whether you've been here longer than I have or it's your very first Sunday, welcome. Uh, we've prayed for you. And I was, you know me, I'm all over the place. I was outside, I was upstairs. And the sound of your voices coming up through those floorboards as I made sure that everything was ready for the coffee after the service, just... I'll be honest with you, I'm ready to go home. Um, I've, <laughs> I've worshipped, I've met with God, I've been encouraged, I'm, I'm good to go. I don't, how about you? Here's where you say, no, we, uh, we want to hear the Bible, right? Okay, good. The Bible is our topic. The story is a 31-week Bible reading campaign that we're going to do together. The story is not the Bible. The story is a selection of Bible readings printed together in this book entitled The Story. Beginning tomorrow, if you have your, if you have your book or you buy it, I, I bought it for $4 and it's now on all of our iPhones and, and iPads. Uh, it's with me everywhere now. Tomorrow you should start reading week one. There's 31 chapters here and it moves you chronologically through the Bible. There aren't any chapter or verse divisions. But the editors have selected readings from the Bible to help you understand it from cover to cover. Obviously, not all of the Bible is here, but it's a representative reading all the way through the Bible. And then our invitation to you is that you will join a story group. A story group are people who are going to meet during the week, some on Sunday, and intentionally discuss with the purpose of discipleship and growing up spiritually what they've read first. Then on Sunday mornings, I'm going to take one of the passages from your reading, and I'm going to preach it. Fear not, I won't preach everything you've read. Uh, that would require you to bring lunch and possibly an IV uh, to get you through it. But if you will read, I would say, if you would read 10 or 15 minutes a day, maybe less than that, you can very easily make it through your weekly reading. Someone asked, is that is that all I can read? No, by all means, keep your Bible. Keep reading your Bible. If you have a Bible reading pattern, if you're on a Bible reading plan, please read that as well. Our family habit, which is, fluctuates like all of our family habits, we like to read a, pro, a chapter of Proverbs every day. So today being January 4th, I should read Proverbs 4. If you have a New Testament reading plan, if you're reading the Gospels, keep doing what you're doing, but we invite all of you to read the Bible together with us through, uh, through this book, the story. Now then, commercial out of the way. If you'll open your Bibles, I'd like you 
I'd like to introduce why we're doing this and explain to some of you why you should take a chance and make your Bible reading and learning experience not just vertical, but horizontal this year. Here's our vision and our prayer for the story. Simple as this. What I envision, what our church leadership, what all of our leaders, and there's about three dozen people leading these groups, all the way from North L.A. County down to South Orange County. Here's what we see, here's what we're asking God for. First of all, that you would know God through His Word and love Him. Bible reading was never intended to be merely informational. It is informational, it is learning, but you, when you read God's Word, that is God speaking to you. And God speaks to you for the same reason that we speak to each other. We speak to each other. We use words to address one another to make ourselves known, to explain ourselves, to tell people who, we're, who we are, what we like, what our plans are, what our dreams and disappointments have been. That's why God speaks to you in His Word. Because He is a person, and I don't mean a human being, because God the Father is a spirit, but he is a person like you with mind, will, and emotions, and plans, and he's purposeful. He not only speaks to you, he allows you to talk back, and we call that prayer. It's not complicated. It's simple. I didn't say it was easy. There's a difference between simple and easy. Running a marathon is a simple endeavor, right? You run, and about a, shortly after 26 miles, you're done. It's a simple idea. Not so easy in the execution. So it is with learning who God is. He speaks to you. He has put it in writing. Think of the magnificence of that. God spoke across for centuries in three languages in several different cultures at various times using different kinds of people to explain himself to you so that you would know him and love him. And I can always tell if someone has actually heard from God and is obeying God if they love God and they love other people as he told us to do. Our second goal within this prayer and vision is that you would understand exactly who God is and understand through reading history of what he has done and what he has said, understand how he works. One of the authors of this book of these Bible study materials who selected these Bible readings refers to an upper story and a lower story. The lower story is our everyday life. So you can read the lower story, for instance, of what God said and did with Moses. Moses was a real man living in a real time with real needs, real fears, real misgivings, real objections to what God told him to do. That's the lower story. The upper story can only be appreciated with time and perspective. That's what God is doing. That's how God is using all of those people and events to do what he ultimately intends. One of the things that people do in our life as we try to follow Jesus, we try to figure out from our view of our little lower story what God is up to. You ever wondered what God wants you to learn from something? Or why he won't answer or why he won't do what you want? That's your lower story intersecting the upper story. Sometimes weeks, sometimes years later, with time and perspective, you can learn what God was up to. 
I'll give you a very personal for instance. I prayed about marrying about two or three other people before I met my wife. And then he said, second best, third best, not what I have for you. I have something awesome for you, and here she is. Now, it took me time to understand that. I was initially disappointed of why God would not answer those prayers. If you keep following him, if you keep hearing from him, and you keep speaking to him, In this relationship, you will understand how the upper story intersects the lower story, and reading what God has done in the lives of faithful, ordinary people who have followed Him for centuries will give you some idea of how He works and will help you make sense of your own day-to-day struggles. And all of this contributes to really the one point of this Bible reading campaign And that is this, that through all of this understanding and with the help of other people, you would grow to maturity in Jesus. Okay? If someone asks me, why are you doing the story? We're doing it it for this reason. We want people to grow in maturity to Jesus. We want you 31 weeks from now, and we're going to take some breaks for seasonal things like Easter. We'll take some time off in the summer, but when this is over, eight or nine months from now, the measurable outcome, what we hope and pray and what we believe we will see is that all of you who went through the process resemble Jesus more. You think more like he thinks, you feel as he feels, you want the things that he wants. In other words, you've grown as his disciple. You're really his follower. You look less like your old self and more like him. That's what we're after. Does that make sense? Now, here's the gap. What I want you to see is that in spiritual maturity, spiritual maturity is like every other kind of maturity. It is always measured in relationships. It is always measured in relationships. Colossians 1.28. I'm going to have you do quite a bit of reading with me this, uh, this morning. Is that okay? Always a mixed outcome. I'm going to learn someday to stop asking these rhetorical questions because I'm always mildly disappointed by the answer. Thank you. There you go. I, now, now I'm fishing and it's, it's unbecoming. Let's just read, Okay. Colossians 1.28, this is probably the most faithful disciple that Jesus ever had, Paul, who had been an unbeliever and a persecutor. Paul was in the business of pursuing, arresting, and putting Christians to death in the first century. He didn't believe a word of it. He thought it was a hoax. Then he met Jesus. Everything changed. And here's Paul giving you his mission statement. Here's Paul telling you what his life is about Talking about Jesus, Paul said, he is the one we proclaim. Jesus is the one we proclaim. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. There's a lot in that little verse. Jesus is our message. He's the one we're talking about. We're not bringing our own ideas. We don't have our own campaign or agenda. We're proclaiming him and what that looks like in our day-to-day life is we're admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom for this purpose so that we may present everyone what? And you say that's a tall order and I say to you, you're exactly right. Almost a year ago, we helped people understand the process of spiritual maturity 
by putting a family table with a bunch of chairs around it up here. Everybody remember that series? At a family table, you're going to have people that are invited to be part of the family, but they don't know it yet. Jesus said those people are spiritually dead, and they need to be born again. If that phrase is unfamiliar to you or sounds just way too religious and weird to you, you should know Jesus said that, not us. He spoke of having life in God as a spiritual birth, a process of being spiritually reborn the moment you trust Him and you make Him your Savior. Then when someone is born, they are babies. And babies need to be fed. And babies will choke on steak. And babies can't expect to do very much. They need to be cared for and fed and protected. And if those babies are, those babies become little children. And people, spiritually speaking, who are little children know much more than babies. They know who their father is. They know who God is. But their defining characteristic is that they're self-centered. And they're all about themselves. And if you've ever had the misfortune of meeting someone who gets stuck in that phase, it's all about them. If a child, however, is continually fed and encouraged and taught and challenged and given responsibility, that child becomes a young adult. And for the first time, a young adult starts taking responsibility for himself and starts looking beyond himself to find his place in the world and find how he's going to contribute to the family and to the world outside. And if that young adult continues to mature, that young adult becomes a parent, and that parent, spiritually speaking, reproduces himself. And that spiritual process of parenting is full maturity in Jesus. Wherever you are, this year you can take the next step. If this makes little sense to you and you catch about every third concept, and I'm using terminology that is just completely unfamiliar to you, I get that. Be patient. Come on in. Hear from your Father. Experience it with others, and you're going to see yourself grow because that's what God is working at. That's the point of the church. The fault of the church, as we've reinvented it in the United States, in all too many contexts, boils down to this. You have a staff of paid professionals who step up on a stage and do their thing on stage and during the week and put on a production for other people to consume, and then everybody scatters until it's time to do it again the next week. Does that sound familiar to some of your experiences? It's not what Jesus had in mind. What God had in mind is a family with himself as the father and everybody helping everybody else move on to maturity. And Paul said, we are not satisfied. We're telling you about Jesus and admonishing and teaching. Hear the parental aspect of that. Parents admonish. Oh boy, do we. I know I've gone too far when I get eye rolls in the back seat. Right? That, that, that signals that I've lost them. But a parent admonishes and teaches, Paul says, we do that to present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's the point. The Word of God is intended to bring you to maturity in Christ. That's what God intended for His Word. Because He is a heavenly Father, He wants you to grow up. Are any parents here hoping their kids get stuck in the season they're in right now? We don't tolerate it in the physical world. 
If your eight-year-old does not mature physically and mentally and progress past eight, within six or seven months after his eighth birthday, if he is still right there, you become alarmed. And you go to the doctor. And he said, Doc, I don't know what's going on. He hasn't grown an inch. His language isn't developing. He's not any more responsible. He's not maturing physically. In the faith family, in the church, we've grown all too comfortable with letting people come in and come out. And as long as people are coming in and out, I'm speaking of pastors now, we are largely satisfied as the, if the room is full, we don't really know, we don't really care how everybody's doing it. That's not what God had in mind for you. Whatever stage you're in, even if this is all very foreign to you, I promise because God has spoken and acted in the world and given you his written word and later his own son, Jesus, so that you would know who he is, you can take the next step. And no one here should be discouraged. We are here to bring everyone to maturity in Jesus, beginning and including with me. I want you to look into two passages with me and then I'll be done. And I want you to see how this works both vertically and horizontally. In other words, what I mean by vertically is God speaks. God spoke up in history and explained himself. And he put together this extraordinary book written across over a thousand years of time by about 40 different people in three different languages, and it tells one narrative. It makes sense. It comes together to show you who he is and where you fit into his creation. And in two passages, we're going to see both the vertical word of God, God speaking to us, and us helping each other in the horizontal dimension. The first passage is in 2 Timothy. This is the last letter that the Apostle Paul, that great disciple I told you about earlier, ever wrote. After this letter, they took him out and killed him. The skeptic and the mocker had actually, the tables had turned and he had become one of the pursued. And rather than say that Jesus wasn't really who he claimed to be, and rather than denounce and recant, he willingly laid down his life and was martyred, apparently beheaded, rather than deny who Jesus was. And Paul's writing a letter to the person in his life to whom Paul had entrusted his ministry. There was no one else in Paul's circle of influence, his friends, the people he was working with that loved people like Timothy did. And here's Paul's final challenge to Timothy in this letter. He said, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Here's the vertical dimension. Watch. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's begin with the end. Let's begin with verse 16. Paul says, when you're reading Scripture, when you're reading the Bible, you're quite a word picture. You're reading the breath of God. This really is God speaking. It's that close. It's that personal. It's not distant. 
It's not mechanical. It's personal. It's God speaking to you, and that God-inspired or God-breathed word is useful for you, and then it uses four words. And I seldom do word studies, but this one is important. I want you to notice the words there on your outline. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. You see that? There's a progression there. The Greek words that Paul wrote that underlie our English translation, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, are a progression of maturity or development. Teaching means it's the whole curriculum. This is why I want you to read the whole Bible, or at least the selection of scriptures that will take you in chronological order through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's the whole package. There is no supplemental curriculum. There is no other course. Everything that you need to know, everything that pertains to your life and your growth in God, he included it all in his word. Then the next word is a strong word, one that we don't usually like applied to ourselves. It is rebuking. The concept there is to expose something that is wrong, something that is out of place. Then it says rebuking and then correcting. That's the next word. That means putting what is out of place back into place, like setting a broken bone or putting a tree that has been knocked over, putting it upright and rerooting it. The final word is training, and that's positive training so that you can do the right thing, which you couldn't do in the first place because something was broken and hidden to your sight. Now, if that sounds very conceptual, let me tell you what happened to me in ninth grade. When I was in ninth grade, I solidified a hatred for the game of baseball and softball by having my left leg broken by a big lummox of a choir teacher. If that sounds insulting, you should know that I looked it up, and that's exactly what the man was, at least on that day, because I was playing first base. And the choir teacher hit a slow roller over toward third, which somebody scooped up, and I'm playing first. And what's a first baseman supposed to do? He's supposed to stretch toward the throw, right? Shorten the throw, that whole thing. I'm not very good at baseball, but even I knew that much. In fact, I'm terrible, but even I knew that much. Well, here comes the throw, and the big lummox of a choir teacher stepped on the back of my ankle instead of the bag, thereby shattering my leg, And I don't know what to call it, I should have looked it up, but this little knot that's on this side of your ankle, it rotated over and joined the other knot on the other side. And then, because this school was awesome, they let me sit in the desert sun for an hour and a half while they finished the game. (laughs) Now, because it's broken, it's swelling like crazy. I mean, my ankle's the size of my head, and I'm, I'm in ninth grade, but I'm saying, I think it's broken. Elevate it got my leg over my head. It's not working. We're going to need more. Okay, I think I need medical attention. Oh, you're fine. Well, sure enough, they took me to the local Red Cross. Kid came out. I think this was actually part of his pay package, what he did next, because there was no medical value to it whatsoever. He came out and gave my leg in three places, right around the swelling, three strong squeezes. Yeah. Does this hurt? Ah! This hurt? Ah! Does this hurt? Scream, squeeze, scream, squeeze, scream, squeeze, scream. Then he said, I think it's broken. (laughs) However, you're going to need to go to another hospital because our x-ray machine is broken too. So off we went to a real hospital this time with a doctor, not a sadist, uh, working at the place. (laughs) And an orthopedic surgeon came out and took me through the process I've just described to you in the Bible. 
He knew everything about fixing broken ankles. He was literally laughing about it, and before I went under in surgery, the last thing he asked me was, did you make the catch? Okay? <laughs> he was just that confident. Then he exposed what was wrong. Then he put the bone back where it should have been. And six weeks later, when I got my cast off, he directed me to physical therapy, and I had positive training. Now, what was the outcome for that? Because I was in good hands, I was then prepared to do anything I wanted for the rest of my life. That happened in ninth grade, but there has never been a point in my life from that point to this where I've said, I can't do that because I have a leg injury. I was fully prepared to engage in whatever I wanted. What Paul is telling Timothy is God has spoken, God has breathed out his own words, and those words are useful to you. They are the whole curriculum, and they will come into your life and expose what is broken. Listen, you may have things broken inside you that you don't even know are broken. That's part of the problem. That's the wisdom of exposing what is wrong. Once that is discovered, God and God alone can put it back in place, and then He can build you up and make you stronger so that was what was once a liability and something missing in your life becomes an asset, and you, as a servant of God, are prepared to do every kind of good work. That's the vertical dimension. Now, what I hadn't seen in that passage is there's a strong horizontal person-to-person dimension. Look back in 14 with me. Paul said to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Watch this. Because you know those from whom you learned it. I've read that passage probably since I was 12 years old. I've never noticed that the first thing that Paul appeals to in telling Timothy, stick with the Scripture, stick with Jesus, is he appeals to the people that Timothy knew who had lived it out in front of him. If you've met a genuine Christian, you've been blessed because you have discovered through their earthly example in the horizontal dimension more of what Jesus is like. You've been given his compassion. You've been exposed to his righteousness. You've been exposed to his wisdom, to his care, to his teaching, to his encouragement. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, stay right where you are. Keep believing what you've been taught. And the first reason I have for you, Timothy, is you know who taught you. You know that your mom and your grandmother, that's who he's referring to, you know they were the real deal. That's where the groups come in. See, if you go off with your Bible by yourself and it becomes merely informational to you and you try to listen to God, and that's good, and He'll speak to you because it's His breathed out word, but you don't have an outlet and a lab and a real life experience where you can learn to live it out with other people, your growth will be delayed because that's how God set it up. Spiritual maturity is always measured relationally. God and other people, both vertical and horizontal. That's the way maturity has always worked. You ever had the misfortune of dealing with someone who was knowledgeable but not mature? I was talking to a leader about a week ago about some really high-level challenging stuff that, that he does in his world. And he was talking about people under his supervision, and two or three times he said, of them, 
that they were good or they were progressing, but they needed to mature. Now, where does immaturity always show up? It always shows up in the way you treat people. If you've ever had someone who was very, very knowledgeable, but a bit of a jerk, they weren't much of a help, were they? Someone who is knowledgeable, selfish, is dangerous. That's the trouble. People are filled up with knowledge, but all too short of love. It doesn't show up in relationship. That's why God, by design, regardless of your history, regardless of your temperament, wants you in close relationship with at least one other person so that you can live this out. It's vertical and horizontal. Look at the vertical dimension in Psalm 119. This is the second passage I want to show you. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's all about the Bible. It is a long poem. It is a long song of one man's struggle to learn, to live, to believe, to trust God through what God had said. You're doing a great job reading. Read this with me and we're done. Psalm 119 says, 1 through 8 says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the way of the Lord. Verse 2, let's go. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. Now he's going to turn and speak directly to God about God's word. Watch. Let's read. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. I've been captivated by the way that verse ends. He's singing to God. He's saying, God, help me to learn your ways and to do what you say so that the next time I look at Scripture, I'm not ashamed. And then at the end in verse 8, he says, do not utterly forsake me. Now, why in the world would he say that? Because in a real relationship, that's how it feels sometimes. If you've ever wondered in the midst of your tragedy, in the midst of your struggles, where God is, know that that's a normal part of the experience in any relationship. And the maturity keeps from continuing to listen to God and talk back to Him and walking right through that. Any relationship in your life that you've enjoyed here on earth has had struggles and times of mistrust and times of misgiving and fear and disappointment and anger, but if you've kept walking through it, it has paid off. So it is with God. That is the vertical relationship. As you read your way through the Bible, through these Bible readings, you're going to find out that the so-called heroes of the faith were all too human. One of the great heroes of the wife essentially pimped his wife out by pretending that she was not his wife to gain political and financial advantage in a foreign land. That was Abraham, the father of the faith. You're going to find out that King David, who wrote the 23rd Psalm, was also a man who could be all too cruel in war, who slept with one of his soldiers' wives and sent that man on to die to cover up the fact that not only did he sleep with her, he got her pregnant. You're going to find out that everyone in the Bible is just like you and just like me, broken, failed, 
people in need of redemption, but who have a great God who stays with us, who continues to speak to us, and if we will follow him, will grow us all the way to maturity the same way you're trying to do with your kids. That's the vertical dimension. You see the horizontal dimension when Paul again addresses the Colossian church, Colossians 3.16. It's not just God vertically, it's others horizontally. Paul wrote to this early Christian church, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And what that means in Greek is, let the word of Christ make itself at home in you. Let it come into your life and make itself at home in your life. Teaching and admonishing Here's the difference. Here's the paradigm shift for our church. It says teaching and admonishing what? One another. It's a family. It's not a small group of committed professionals taking care of everybody else. It's a family. No responsible family puts it all on mom and dad. As the kids grow up, the kids, the parents, because they love their kids, say, take care of your brother. Make sure he wears shoes this time. Put down the stick. Don't hit your brother with the stick. You can't hit your brother with the stick. Stop it. And that's how families work. And now the 14-year-old is helping the 3-year-old. And someday, if it's a healthy family, the 3-year-old will love the 14-year-old because they will know how much they did for them when they were so much younger. That's what God has in mind here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Back to the vertical. Every one of you, let God's word make its way into your life and make itself at home there. And from the overflow of that, teach and admonish and encourage and help and bring one another along. What am I trying to tell you? This. You can know the Word of God without being mature, but you cannot be mature without knowing God's Word. There are a lot of people who are knowledgeable but not mature. Our offer as a church family to you who want to grow in Christ is to join this ragtag bunch of disciples who are fearful, beginning with the pastor. I'm a fearful man on a lot of different levels. How will I get over that? I will hear from my heavenly Father who continually says, in fact, it's the most repeated commandment in the Bible, do not be afraid. And I will have other people put some skin on God's word to me and come alongside me and encourage me and forgive me when I sin against them and blow it. And together, over eight or nine months, we can grow together and we, we can look more like Jesus. What do you do next? Get this book. Get in a group and invite somebody to come with you. Now, some of you have already said that you're not going to do this. You've already made a mental decision. This is cool for somebody else, but it's not for you because you're an introvert. Right? About half of you are. You're just... You're withdrawn. You're not crazy like me. It's not all out here. Let me speak to that because I think what, when we talk about groups, people see the extroverted pastor, or at least the pastor who acts extroverted, and they think that's for somebody else. That's for people with that kind of personality or that kind of disability, however you care to view it. <laughs> Let me ask you. 
Do you think God accounted for your temperament when He made you? If God desires you to grow in maturity, do you think He accounted for your past? Do you think He accounted for your mistakes and your sins and your misgivings? I've enjoyed my small group so much, we meet upstairs in my office on Wednesday nights. And we checked it once, and about half of us are extroverted and half of us are introverted. Because we try to lead our group well, we don't tell the introverts, your turn, you say something. (laughs) What do you think that means? It's a good way to get somebody to never come back to your group. We know who they are and we let them be. And sometimes our introverts sit there for week after week, hardly saying anything. But then they ask a question. Then they make a comment. And the rest of us, particularly the extroverts, go, wow. (laughs) That was amazing. Why? Because God in the upper and the lower story, he put our little group together. And with all of our shortcomings, we're helping each other. And I'm more mature as a believer because I've been in that group. You may think you have no time for it in your life. You know what? You're busy. You're right. But if you continue to do this year what you did last year, you'll get the same results. And God wants more for you. And that's why we're making this invitation to you. If you need a group, if you need a group of three guys, if you only need a, uh, if you need a very confidential group so that you can get close to just a few people, if you want to start with me, that's why we're here. We want you to grow to maturity in Christ. We want you to look back at the end of this year, this year that has just started. We want you to look back 12 months from now and know that you've heard from God and you've seen it lived out in the lives of other people and you're more mature for the process. Let's pray. Could I just ask you very personally to talk to God a little bit about this? Even if you're not entirely sure that he's there, could I ask you to courageously reach out to him and ask him to give you the encouragement, the strength, the priorities that you need to make this happen? You're invited. We got this big old family table. We got babies and really, really sharp parents. And all kinds of people sitting at all different stages. You can join with us. God can put those groups together. You can see God's gift and power and grace in the lives of other people. And you can take your next step. I promise. We've seen it time after time after time. It's how God designed it. If we'll participate, he'll make it work. We need him and we also need each other. By his design. Father... Next week, we'll start meeting in groups. This week, a lot of us are going to start reading. As you speak vertically into our lives, give us patience and encouragement and focus to hear from you and give us faithfulness to stick with it and to keep listening and to keep talking back in prayer. And God, motivate group leaders and group participants, including the shyest, most reserved person in this room, Give them a few friends for the journey so that they can grow into the man or woman you want them to be. We ask this, Lord, for our own good, for your glory, trusting your power to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.
joining us on this edition of Cross Points. If you have any questions about what you just heard, please call our church office at 714-848-5511. If you are nearby next Sunday, we have services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Visitors are always welcome at Crosspoint, and we hope you'll choose to worship with us when you're near the Huntington Beach community.